Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus makes it clear that there's going to be a cost as well as a joy in discipleship. And you had best be clear about that if you're to follow him. Based on Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 62, this is the message we're calling Counting the Cost. Well, let's just say it. There are times for us, most of the time, in fact, that Jesus' word and teaching goes down as easily as a drink of ice-cold spring water on a hot summer day. It's refreshing, it's renewing, and it's life-giving. And as soon as we hear Jesus' words, we immediately want more. But then there are a few moments in the Gospel, and I would count this morning's text amongst them, that are, shall we say, a lot more difficult to swallow. Moments when Jesus' words are so challenging for us as to be hard to hear, if not downright off-putting. These are passages that my old friend and colleague, Stuart Farnham, used to refer to as belonging to the offensive gospel. Offensive, he meant, in the sense that it takes whatever acceptable comfortable expectations that we have about Jesus and turns them immediately upside down and inside out. It goes against our regular sensibilities. Or, if you really want to get down to brass tacks, our text for this morning that Cindy just shared with us fits right in in what the Right Reverend Stacy Sauls, a former officer of the Episcopal Church in America, says comes from the cranky Jesus. Yeah, wow, is right. These, he says, are the moments in the Gospels, and I quote him here, when Jesus, as my grandmother was wont to say, got up on the wrong side of the bed. It is, he goes on to say, as if Jesus goes out of his way to say difficult things, that things people, even good and decent people, will simply have a hard time accepting to say nothing of actually doing. Not the way we like to think of Jesus, right? But it's all there on display at the close of the ninth chapter of Luke. First in this reading. A Samaritan village that was scheduled to make ready for Jesus backed out at the last minute of receiving him there, presumably because they had heard that Jesus had set his face to go to Jerusalem. And this immediately prompted James and John to boldly, and let's just say it, rather stupidly suggest that perhaps commanding a little bit of fire down from heaven might be the way to deal with this situation, and it might just change their minds. The suggestion, however impetuous it might have been, was immediately rebuked by Jesus. But we also might easily assume that, if anything, it likely only worsened Jesus' mood. Because uh, as we read on, things get worse from there. Someone says he wants to follow Jesus wherever he goes. Jesus replies, 
Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus issues an invitation to follow him, to which this would-be follower replies, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. To which Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And if that's not enough, still another says to Jesus that he wants to follow. But, but first, he says, let me say farewell to those who are at home. And to this, Jesus responds with the crankiest retort of all. No one, he says, who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Crankier still, here's the message translation. No procrastination. No backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. I don't know if he said it in that tone of voice, but it kind of feels like it. You see what I mean here, though, about Jesus' words being difficult to hear at times? Oh, sure. It's all well and good to have heard Jesus calling us to be fishers of people. And great to think about the kingdom of God taking root in our midst. And, and this is to say nothing about all the healing and the miracles and the stories they heard along the way and about seeds taking root in good soil. But make one one little reasonable request. Go to a family funeral. Straighten things out at home. And suddenly Jesus is talking like we're on Survivor and you're about to get voted off the island. Excuse me, if it's all the same to you, Jesus, I think I'd like to go back to when you had children on your lap and we knew you as Jesus' friend, kind and gentle. Of course... All kidding aside, all crankiness and personal offense aside, we've got to kind of admit that Jesus has a point. And for me, it all comes together in that comment about putting hand to plow. After all, any farmer worth his salt would never think to look back from the plow, for to do so would be to risk cutting a crooked or shallow farrow and thus ruining the work, or more to the point, if I might quote an ancient Greek poem on the subject, 700 B.C. to be exact, the plowman is one who, quote, attends to his work and drives a straight furrow and no longer gapes after his comrades, but keeps his mind on his work. See, the point that Jesus is trying to make here is that the task before you, in this task that is before you, there's no place for looking back or even trying to look two directions at once. Quite literally, and this comes from biblical commentator Mikhail Parsons, who is professor of religion at Baylor University, you can't be two-faced. And so it is with being a disciple of Jesus. If you are to follow Jesus, he said, you must be single-minded in purpose. You must set your face like Jesus set his face to Jerusalem on this task you have at hand. So in the end, you see, Jesus' words here are not about being 
his being moody or contrary. And ultimately, and here's a quote from Caroline Lewis of Lutheran Seminary now, it is not an insensitive plea to abandon that which is important to us, who matter to us, who make a difference to us. Let's be clear, friends, this is not a call in this text to abandon family or or to let the dead bury their own. But it is a reminder to you and to me and to all who seek to follow Jesus that there is an important and essential job before us and that every single moment before us matters in what we have to do. When it involves the kingdom of God coming into our midst, every moment counts. And thus, it includes and encompasses all the contexts, all the circumstances of our lives, because it is, in fact, the convergence of of time, people, purpose, and place. And you see, the fact is that even when I think about it a little bit, I can totally understand the reaction of those who respond to Jesus calling by saying, oh, yes, Lord, absolutely I'll follow. But first, just let me take care of a few things. I mean, we do want to follow Jesus, right? I mean, that's kind of sort of why we're here today. We've heard Jesus calling. We've built a relationship with God in Christ, and we do have at least some sense of God's Spirit moving in and through our lives. That's why we gather ourselves together as the church, even on a hot, muggy June morning in New Hampshire. Because while we don't fully understand it, and we don't often know exactly where it's going to lead us, Christ has called us, and we do want to be disciples. But you see, even given all that, I think we all know that there is so much in life that will distract us from that purpose. So much that would easily take our hand off the plow given the chance. Real life distractions. Distractions like job concerns. Distractions like matters of financial security. Especially amidst all the inflation that's going on right now. And and also, the time and space we need to take care of ourselves. to, To take care of the people we love. There's also, too, the kind of distractions that emanate from... The, the relentless challenges of convoluted days and an overscheduled life. To say nothing of a pervasive culture that actively tries to pull us in every direction except where Jesus is calling. And then, of course, there are other things that do deeply distract us. The distractions of sin and sorrow and anger and hurt and regrets to which we so often cling. Precisely the kind of life, or more accurately, the kind of death from which Jesus came to save us all in the first place. Barbara Brown Taylor, lots of quotes today. Barbara Brown Taylor has written, Discipleship costs all that we have, all that we love, all that we are. And Jesus does not want us to be fooled about that. 
That doesn't mean that in following Jesus, we aren't ever going to love or laugh or have a life that is rich and full and eventful and surprising. It just means that the call to follow our Lord where he goes, even unto Jerusalem, doesn't happen after all of that is done. It happens while it's going on. Jesus calls us to proclaim the kingdom of God while we are living. Thank you very much. While we're growing, while we're grieving, while we're facing the inevitable changes that come our way. It happens as much when we're in the midst of our farewells as it does in the new beginnings of our lives. Discipleship is not something for another day, you see. It's for now. It's for here. It's for life, its own self. It's about Christ and his kingdom taking first priority amidst everything else in life. And that's important for us to hear, friends. For the time does come, it will come for each one of us, when we will need to be clear about the path of faith we are taking in this life when our next step forward will be as a witness to the life that is real life. And when looking behind ourselves for the second guess or the hidden cost will end up being the mistake that we regret forever. For many years when I was a pastor back in Maine, I also served as a volunteer on-call night chaplain for the pastoral staff at Maine Medical Center in Portland. And I've got lots of stories about that experience. I really quite enjoyed it. But it was also challenging. And one time as a part of being an on-call chaplain, very late, about this time of year, in fact, I was called into the hospital to be with the family of a woman who was very near death. As often was the case when I was called in, it was only when I got to the hospital that I had learned what had happened and why I had been called in. Seems that there had been a 54-year-old woman who had jumped into Sebago Lake to rescue an elderly friend who was drowning. She did this despite the fact that she herself was by her own admission a poor swimmer and having just completed chemotherapy for lung cancer, she was terribly weak to begin with. But tragically, in the struggle to save her friend, she also was overcome by the deep water and she drowned in the attempt. Now, by the time I got to the hospital, life support had just been removed and the woman had just passed. And so I went to see the family who were all gathered together, crowded in the hallway of the ER there, and they were all just kind of looking at each other and wondering what to do next. Now the truth is, there's not very much you can say at a moment like that. It's not much as a pastor that you really can do in the face of such unspeakable tragedy. But we did join hands in a circle and we prayed together. And and we lifted up the truth that even though there are things like this that 
we, that happen in this life that we never will truly understand. The one thing we know for sure is that God is with us in our grief and in our pain and that God will comfort us. Like I said, we're all joined hands and we're in this circle. And when I had finished praying, there was this long and deafening silence that filled the air. Nobody was letting go. Nobody was even thinking, okay, we got to go home. Our hands were clinging to one another. And after what seemed like forever, someone broke the silence. It kind of makes sense, you know? Everybody looked up. And they looked at these, at this young woman who had just said this as though she had absolutely uttered the worst possible thing she could have said at that moment of, about this loved one who had just so tragically died. And there was another silence, and then she just went on and she said, she just did what she always does. She put others first, even without thinking even a little bit about herself. She did what she needed to do, no matter what. Let me tell you something. There was great and divine comfort in that. And I remember driving home that night, four in the morning or some such thing, and, and I was thinking about that, the, the sacrifice that this one woman made for the sake of another, the, her utter lack of concern for her own safety in the process. And, and by extension, it got me to thinking about all the challenges and the sacrifices of so many kinds that get set before each one of us each and every day and each and every hour of every day for, and it's all for the sake of our faith. Maybe it's not life-threatening. Most of the time, almost all the time, it's not. But it's always life-shifting. Interestingly enough, because this woman had no real church connection, a couple days later they called and asked if I would lead a memorial service for her. And I was honored to do that. And at that service, as we invited people to come up to speak, and share their memories, one after another, we heard stories. One said, this woman was always there for me when I needed support. She always let me cry on her shoulders, even when she was busy. It made her late for work sometimes, but she stopped what she was doing for me. Another person said, she gave me money when I was broke, money she didn't really have. Another person said, she let me crash on her couch when I had no place else to go. And one after another, after another, after another, it all came back to what that young woman said in the prayer. She did what she needed to do no matter what. Now, I know we've all come here this morning because in one way or another, we are the people who have said to Jesus, I will follow you. Now, truth be told, sometimes we have been faithful in that. But admittedly, there are lots of times we haven't. The minutiae of life and all its distractions having gotten in the way. But the thing is, we're trying, aren't we? We're trying to walk the way with Jesus. A journey that's not easy, but one that's worth the challenge. 
And that's why we're here today. To set ourselves anew on the journey. Seeking God's strength when we're weak. God's forgiveness when we fail. And God's wisdom. So perhaps we won't fail next time. We come here today praying that when the moment comes for us to give of ourselves wholly and freely for the sake of God's kingdom, we'll do so with confidence and in joy. Looking ahead and not behind. Having already counted the cost and knowing that the greatest treasure we can receive comes to us in the Lord. So let us serve the Lord gladly, beloved, knowing that as we do, the Lord will be with us. Amen. And that's the message entitled, Counting the Cost. It was recorded during our June the 26th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire, where, by the way, we gather for worship every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord. Now, if you're visiting New Hampshire this summer, maybe looking for a place to worship on a Sunday morning, we'd love to have you join us. We are a small, mighty, and very welcoming congregation, and I think you'll be glad you came. And I know I'll be glad to have a chance to welcome you. And with that, we come to the close of this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I do thank you so much for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.